brother was. He said, oh, can you come and speak at City Temple? And I said, oh, have you got my number? And um, I'm more than happy for him to have my number. It's, it's great to, uh, it's great when you um, get put in touch through fellowship and through being with those who know and love the Lord. And it was a close friend of mine who was like, oh, you, uh, you need to be in touch uh, if I were with Steve. And so here I am. And um, that's uh, only the Lord's doing. And I trust that you will be minister to tonight. Let's just um, commit the rest of the evening into the hands of the Lord and then I'll open uh, some scriptures up to us and um, we shall see where the Lord takes us. Father, we do very simply want to name the name of the Lord Jesus upon this time from start to finish. We thank you for everything that we need for this time. You accomplished for us in the finished work of the cross. We thank you for your shed blood. We thank you for the reality that you didn't stay in the grave, but you rose again. You're exalted to the right hand of God, and you are ever living to intercede for us. And Lord, we want to submit this time to you and ask that you would have your way. Lead and guide us by your Holy Spirit. Take us to the scriptures that you want us to go to, and uh, we shall be careful to give you all the praise and glory for answering this, our prayer. Amen. I... Um, the subject matter is, is really one that is, uh, I, I love it because it's all to do with the heart and the character of God. We can only love because he first loved us. Amen? There is that, you are created in his image and everything to do with you is because he, he formed you from the dust of the earth. Now, when, uh, the, um, when the blind man was made to see, what, what happened? What did Jesus do to heal that that man's eye, he picked up the dust of the earth, placed it on his eye, and reformed that which was there. He used the original material to touch that man and to cause him to see again. And that's our heart, that as we apply the word of God this evening, that our eyes would be opened. And so would you turn with me to, uh, to 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2. That's where I want to start. And then I'm going to um, share a number of things with regard to... Uh, Marriage from its Hebraic perspective, um, and the, the, the marriage ceremony in Jewish culture, really, because there's so many lessons there that some have had tra- trans- transferred into uh, our culture, but others have, uh, have stayed firmly in, uh, in Jewish culture, and just want to look at some of those, and, and look at this question of the mystery of marriage. So, uh, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 1 and 2 says, let a man so account of us as of ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Here, moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. I'll say it again. Let a man so account of us as of ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Not just to be a minister of Christ. That's not the only thing we're called to do. We're called to steward the mysteries of God. One of those mysteries is found in Ephesians 5. There's a whole number of them. You've got the mystery of the manifold grace of God, the mystery of faith, the mystery of lawlessness, the mystery of the harlot, the mystery of uh, Christ, the mystery of the resurrection, the mystery of the church. Turn to Ephesians 5 because this one is really, um, is the mystery of marriage that it talks about. And we're going to read a few verses from there. And I want to just start and lay a foundation by looking um, at the centrality of marriage because we have to to remember that the Bible really begins with a marriage and it ends with a marriage 
The central tenant throughout it is this marriage relationship. And God uses it so often in Scripture to describe his relationship with us. Whether we're married or single, dating, whatever, this is the, um, the picture that God gives us of what his relationship is with us. And so Ephesians 5 says this. We'll read from verse 20 because this is where it needs to begin. So often... Uh, the chapter breaks that are, that are put into the English actually don't help us in, in understanding it. Verse 20, giving thanks always for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father, subjecting yourselves one to another in the fear of Christ. Wives, unto your husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is head of the church, being himself the saviour of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ... So let the wives also be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for it, that he might sanctify it, having cleansed it by the washing of water with the word, that he might present the church to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Even so, husbands also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He that loves his own wife loves himself. For no man ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, even as Christ also the church, because we are members of his body. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great. But I speak in regard of Christ and of the church. Nevertheless, do you also severally love each one his own wife, even as himself, and let the wife see that she feared or revere her husband. This mystery is great. It's one of the only mysteries that's described as great. It's, it's a key thread that runs throughout the whole canon of the Scripture. Now, within that mystery... What is it telling us? And why is it, bearing in mind what we read in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 1 and 2, why is it described as a mystery, firstly? Secondarily, the Bible tells us that we're to be stewards of the mysteries of God. In other words, once we understand the mystery, there is a responsibility to steward it. There's a responsibility to, to take care of it. Once you know something, you can never unknow it and you have to answer for it. And so, within this structure that we have, within the context of it, we have this picture that God describes marriage as being a picture of Christ and the church. Or if I can put it in uh, contemporary language, Mr. and Mrs. Jesus. Have you ever thought of yourself as Mrs. Jesus before? Follow me where I'm going, because that is what you're called to be. You're called to be his bride. That's the end result. You're going to be Mrs. Jesus. It applies to you men as much as it applies to the ladies. Get in touch with your feminine side. But, but understand the reality of, of what this is talking about. If this picture of husband and wife together is talking about the picture of Christ in this church, then everything outside of it miscommunicates and misrepresents the image of God. So it gives us an indication of some of the miscommunications. Now let me go a stage further as I, as I uh, unpack this. Marriage is a blood covenant. 
When a husband and wife come together for the first time, there is the shedding of blood, the breaking of the hymen. It's a blood covenant, just like the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the new covenant. Any major covenant in Scripture, blood is shed. And God holds that in such high esteem because it's all to do with the character of God. He is a covenant-keeping God. Because he's being faithful to Israel, he'll be faithful to you. Because he's being faithful to the Abrahamic covenant, he'll be faithful to you. Because he's being faithful to the new covenant, because it's all on his shoulders. So we have this picture. A husband being Christ, a wife being the church. And that picture applies in every area of our lives. Outside of that, doesn't truly, accurately reflect the character and the image of God. So, let's look at some of the things that are going on in culture today. And what it does by miscommunicating that reality. What does adultery tell us? Adultery miscommunicates that Christ will cheat on the church. Or that the church cheats on Christ. And we know in Scripture, in a number of places, that adultery is prohibited. And it's all to do with this this character of God, that he's a faithful covenant-keeping God. You can look that up later. Exodus 20, verse 14, Leviticus 20, verse 10, and Matthew 19, 18. It talks about adultery being prohibited. And it's precisely because it's to do with the image of God that it's that it's talking about it. What about rape? Rape miscommunicates that Christ will force himself on the church. He'll never do it. Or that the church can force itself on Christ. How many of you have been in a meeting where people, the, the, the attitude, where is the holiness? They're coming in and it's, it's almost like, oh, you know, we're not going to take any disregard. We're just going to do our own thing. Every single aspect outside of, uh, of husband and wife is actually a miscommunication and a misrepresentation. Let's go another stage further. Polygamy. One, one husband and many wives. Okay, what does that tell the world? Well, bearing in mind the picture of a husband is a picture of Christ... And many wives, well, what's, what's the wife, according to Ephesians 5? It's, it's the church. So it, it's telling the world that there's one Christ, but there's many denominations. It's not true. If you define yourself as an Anglican or a Baptist or, a, or any other denomination, rather than, a, than a, in the family of God, in the bride of Christ, denominationalism is not there in Scripture. Or the other way around. Let's look at it the other way around. One wife and many husbands. What does that tell the world? It tells the world there's one church, but there's many ways to God. It's not true. It's another miscommunication or a misrepresentation of the image of God. Prostitution. Prostitution miscommunicates that Christ and the church are strangers who experience a brief form of union based on a financial transaction. Let me tell you, you cannot buy God. You cannot buy God. And God won't buy you off either. 
because you're far more precious to him than that. If your relationship is based on provision, not on love, seek him first once again. Divorce. What does divorce miscommunicate? You're following me with the pictures and analogies? Divorce miscommunicates that Christ and the church will be split apart after a time. It's not true. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn you. Also says it in Jeremiah 31. It's astonishing. The kind of love that God has for us is love that will never leave or forsake you. Another one, which is a key one in society. And is it any wonder that this institution of marriage that was God-breathed is something that is so under attack today? Sodomy and lesbianism. What does it tell the world? Two men together tells the world there's two Christs and there's no church. Or the other way around, two churches and no Christ. Now, I don't want to be in a world where that's the reality. I want to know Christ. I want to be in a relationship with Christ. There is one body, one spirit. We're joined in holy matrimony to Jesus. And I find that tremendously exciting. Now, let me go a stage further because all of society is attacking This very institution on every level. Satan wants to cheapen it. He wants to reduce it and cast it to one side. He wants it to be something that is a a, a byword, something that people are terrified of. One of the biggest fears I had as a teenager growing up was that my parents were going to get divorced. Now, they were both believers, but it was a fear I had. Because all of my friends, their parents were getting divorced. I grew up in that generation where where it began to happen in such uh, radical um, measure. And, and it was such a, it was a, a real difficulty to me. And it all stemmed from the reality that actually I'd never heard my father say he loves me. Now that's not to say that he didn't love me. He expressed it in a different way to the way I understood. But I never heard it. And because I never heard it, I never truly understood the father heart of God. And when I, we had our first son, six years ago on Tuesday, this coming Tuesday, I called my father-in-law and and, and told him that our son Benjamin had arrived. And before he said anything else, these were the first words he said to me. Now you know how much we love you. And I tell you what, those words sunk more deeply than anything else that I've heard. Because it was true. You can't begin to comprehend We see in part the fatherhood of God. But those of you that are parents in this room, it's impossible to explain in in natural terms. And yet you love this this child so much that God gives you another one. And you think, how can I possibly love another child as much as I love my first child? And yet in some remarkable way, God allows that and gives you the same exact love for your second child, or your third child, or your fourth child. Let me tell you, every single one of you, God has exactly the same love for you. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, have I drawn you. 
we can go on another stage further with that image. Abortion. Plaguing society. Satan is a counterfeit and he wants to be, in, he wants to be as God. So everything we have, in, he wants to be the all-seeing one, the all-knowing one, the all-hearing um, all one, if you like. He wants to be as God. And he can't because he's a created being. But he tries in every area. And so he says, okay, well, Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah as an example. Satan prowls around as a roaring lion. There's always a counterfeit picture. God is the all-seeing one. Satan can't be, so he uses CCTV. You know, you're caught on camera in London 300 times a day, minimally. He wants to know where you are at every given moment. And he can't do it in the natural. So he can get some people to do it for him. Oh, you know. But the process that you see here is when a husband and wife come together, the, the fruit of that union is children. It's a byproduct. When Christ is joined to the church, what is the fruit of the union? Exactly the same thing. Souls getting saved. If you've been in a church, a fellowship for 20 years, and you've seen nobody come into the kingdom of God, how healthy is that body of believers? There should be new life coming through. That's the reality. Because he's, he sent us out into the earth. He said, Adam Eve, go for, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. It's the commandment of God. And it's all to do with the character of God. You see, the Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Father, the Holy Spirit loves the Father, loves the Son. This union that is there is a tripartite union. But that love could not be contained between the triune nature of God. It had to be expressed and it was poured out on you. And in the same way, when the Christ and the church come together, that love cannot be contained. It has to be shared with others. That's the gospel, brothers and sisters. Be excited about it. I am. So abortion, we've got a film upstairs that looks at this, miscommunicates that when Christ and the church come together, it brings forth death, not life. It's not true. Now let me take it another stage further with the, with the marriage relationship, and then we'll go right back to the, the, the early church. What you have within marriage, and, and this is why sex is so attacked. Let me propose something to you. Sex is the f highest form of worship that we have on this earth. Because it's a relationship that has just a man, a woman, and God is watching you. And do you know what? He's pleased. Because it's covenantal love. And it reflects his character. Now, two things to, to chew on in that regard. On earth, it's the only place that you can physically be inside somebody else. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Nakedness, unashamed, the reality of Christ knows all of exactly where your spots are. Even if the world doesn't. We cover ourselves because of sin. That's what the scriptures say. But the reality is that actually he's exposed um, and sees our nakedness, understands all of our warts and all, and yet he still loves you. And so we have this picture here, this mystery is great, but I speak with reference to Christ and the church, because marriage is this picture of something that is so heavenly, it expresses to the whole of creation that there is a God in heaven. Is it any wonder that society is trying to destroy it? Now the breaking of the hymen, think about it again from another covenantal position. Jesus is the only one 
in all of history who broke the hymen from the other side. He had to do it. It's one of the reasons why he had to be born of a virgin. Yes, it fulfilled prophecy, but it was also to do with the fact that it was a blood covenant. The reality of Christ being joined to you. This mystery of marriage is tremendous because the Bible begins, obviously, with a marriage. It ends with a marriage. The first miracle is done at the wedding of Cana. Song of Songs is all about this intimate relationship where it goes from this position of um, a selfish bride to I am my beloved's and his desire is towards me to a consecrated bride who yields herself fully to the Lord and is not focused on what I can get out of this relationship. Marriage is an amazing thing. If, you, if we're an, on this journey of, uh, of singleness, marriage, wherever you are, I, I think we've lost sight, really, of what it was intended to be. And the, the world has created that actually it's all about me. My marriage is about me. I want to find the, the most beautiful lady that I can find, the most beautiful husband I want. And, but we want to come into this relationship where there is a, I don't want to change, and they don't want to change, because we're both perfect already. Marriage is not designed for that reality. Let me tell you, I'm imperfect. If you don't believe me, ask her. But by the grace of God, he puts together two people that he desires to see. And what happens in that process? He chips away at the character. If you like, this beautiful lady here is my mirror. And there's a scriptural principle there, and it happens in the book, uh, in the story of Jacob. Now, you all know the story well. I won't, because of time, I won't go into it in great detail. Jacob went to his uncle Laban and double-crossed his father-in-law over and over and over and over again. He twisted. You know his name, Jacob, Yaakov, means twister. It means double-crosser, means meddler, means schemer. It means one who, who undermines and cuts across and... And he came away with a great wealth of resources as a result of double-crossing his uncle Laban. And then the time comes for him to leave with his family, with the, all, all of his goods. And what, what's the end, end product? Uncle Laban chases him because somebody in his camp has stolen the family idols, which is the inheritance to the whole estate. And what does Jacob say? He says, look, you find who's done it, you can do what you like with them. In other words, you can kill them. You can get rid of them. Search my uh, estate, my traveling estate. You can dig anything up. You can do whatever you want. And because Uncle Laban knew his son-in-law so well, <laughs> he got out his shovel. If he'd had a JCB, he'd have probably used it. And proceeded to turn the camp upside down and inside out in order to find those family gods because he knew his son-in-law had done it. Searches high and low. Comes to his daughter. And his daughter says, oh, Daddy, I, please don't make me get up. It's my lady time. It's my time of the month. It's my period. It's what it is in the Hebrew. Let's not shy away from the, the, the Bible. is a very practical book. You know, I feel terrible. They didn't have paracetamol in those days. Thank God for paracetamol. But in the process, she doesn't get up. And then what happens? Uncle Laban leaves kind of, I knew he had them, but where they were, I couldn't find them. I turned his tent inside down, upside down, you know, and... and his beautiful wife gets up. And there, in that instance, Jacob sees 
himself. He sees, what have I become? This lady that I love, this, this one that I was so attracted to, the one that I got tricked into marrying the older sister, but I loved Rachel, has stolen my father-in-law's possessions and the inheritance of the whole estate. In that moment, he saw himself and his wife. His wife had taken on his character. And in that process, it was only upon the realization of seeing himself that he was ready to wrestle with God. And if you think about it, that's the story of every single one of us. It doesn't matter to do with where we are on the journey, whether we're single, married, dating, that doesn't matter. The question is, have you seen yourself for who you really are and are you prepared to change? Because that's what this journey is all about. Changing you from glory to glory into the image and nature of God. And it's all to do with covenant. Let's go back to the early church. I don't know how long I've got left. Have I got just a couple of minutes? Within a, um, a Jewish wedding, there are so many things that are taken, taken from the scriptures. And I just want to give you, give you a few parallels as, as we kind of lay a foundation and, and take a few scriptures that are, I, have really, um, really spoken to me. One of, the, one of them is Isaiah 9 verse 6, which I'm sure many of you know. Which it says in Isaiah 9 6, it, it talks about, does anybody know it off by heart? His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Let's turn there just so we get it. Because it's for unto us. You may say, well, what has this got to do with marriage? Why is this even being brought up in this, uh, in this context? For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there shall be no end, and upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. Now this, this phrase here, let me ask you a question. What does it mean for the government to be upon his shoulders? The first thought, because we have this concept of government, it means authority, means power, everything else that goes with it. But if we look at it within the context and understanding of what a marriage covenant is, one of the things that took place uh, in, in ancient Jewish wedding was the wife was veiled. And what has come out of, uh, th- uh, to the extent that um, obviously we see with Jacob, ever since that point, um, in, a, in a Jewish wedding, the husband, the groomsman, walks up to the wife and lifts the veil before the wedding because he wants to check it's his wife and not somebody else. Every wedding that happens. Now, in the process, the the veil was representative of the father's responsibility on, on his daughter to keep her pure, ready for her husband. And that process, Melissa, stand up for a minute because I'm not going to cover your face, but I'll, I'll lay this over my wife's shoulders because what happened is the veil was cut. Veil was cut from being over 
my wife's face over her head, and it, her face was revealed by being cut. And what would happen is the father would take the veil and he would lay it upon the shoulders of the husband-to-be. Because the authority of keeping his wife pure had been transferred at that very moment from the father to the husband. You see, it brings a new context to Ephesians 5 where it says that he's to present her pure and spotless. There's a responsibility to be involved in seeing that be a reality. The veil is cut, the government being placed upon his shoulders from the Father. And you see, there's that responsibility. Of course, that applies on a personal level, but it applies on a, uh, on a corporate level with regard to the church as well. There's a responsibility to be pure and blameless. Holiness is what the Lord is really after. Are you set apart for him wholeheartedly? That's just one example, is this, this laying of the veil, this, uh, this veil being taken off and being placed upon the shoulders. It's, it, it conveys the ideas of, of modesty and um, also the lesson that however attractive physical appearances may be, what's more important is the soul and the character of the individual. Let me tell you, the most attractive thing, ladies, is you being wholly in love with Jesus, putting him above all else. When you do that, rather than letting your eyes wander, you'll find the men flocking. Let me just tell you the key, men. Are you in the place that God has told you to be, or are you in the place that you want to be? Are you living your lives in exactly the same manner? Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full into his wonderful face, and the things of the earth will go strangely dim in the eyes of his glory and grace. If you are sold out for Jesus, that's attractive. Not only is it attractive, it's gorgeous. And it's something that every man truly wants. Now let me just turn um, very briefly, because if we've got this concept of Jesus being married to Mrs. Jesus without me being irreverent. Just want to take a few moments and unpack that and then I'll open up for questions because I'm aware I've probably raised a few kind of, whoa, what, what about that? Mrs. Jesus is what you're called to be. But let me ask a question because this applies to both men and to women. What does Mrs. Jesus look like? And does it matter? And where is it found in Scripture? What is the church supposed to be? What is her character? What is it that is required of her? Turn with me to Proverbs 31. The proverb that every man has prayed, God give me a Proverbs 31 wife, and every wife has prayed, Lord, how can I live up to that? And let me tell you that actually... Guys in the room, this applies as much to us as it does to wives. So ladies, in one sense, you're off the hook. <laughs> but in the other sense, there's actually a huge amount of responsibility. Let's just read it very, very quickly together as, uh, as we, we wrap up. There's so much more we could talk about the marriage ceremonies um, 
in Jewish culture, but time doesn't permit. But I really feel this is important because this gives us a, an understanding. And then I want to talk about what it's like to, to be, be in, in Christ, in Mrs. Jesus, if you like. Verse 10, a good wife is hard to find, her worth is far above jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he has no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works willingly with her, her hands. She's like the merchant ship. She brings her bread from afar. She rises also while it is yet night and gives food to her household and their tasks to her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruits of her hands she plants a vineyard. She girds her loins with strength and makes strong her arms. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp goes not out by night. She lays her hand to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She stretches out her hand to the poor. Yes, she reaches forth her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of the snow for her household. For all her household are clothed with scarlet. She makes for herself carpets of tapestry. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates where he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. And delivers girdles to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the law of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household, and eats not the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her, saying, Many daughters have done worthily, but you excel, excel them all. Grace is deceitful, or charm is deceitful. Beauty is vain, but a woman that fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruits of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. A good wife is hard to find. Her worth is far above jewels. Why has Jesus waited so long for his bride? We have to understand the context first and foremost. When, when the Passover took place, just before Jesus died, he had a meal, the last supper it's known uh, to us as. During that meal, they would have had four cups of wine. The third cup was the cup of betrothal. It was, it was a covenant cup. It was, I am getting married to each one of you 12 disciples. That's what he was doing. Drink, if you're drinking of the same cup with me, you are becoming one with me. That's the cup. That's why the Lord's table is so significant. That's why it says, don't drink and eat of it in an unworthy manner if you don't have something right with your fellow brother and sister. Because it's holy. It's to do with this covenantal relationship. And it says some even fall asleep as a result of doing it. He took the cup. Take, drink, all of you. But the fourth cup he didn't take. Why? Because the fourth cup is the cup of marriage. He said, I will not drink of this until I drink it with you, with my Father in heaven, in my Father's house. He took the third cup and he went away. And in John we have this picture. I behold in my house many, many rooms for you. I go to prepare a place for you. And in Jewish custom, they would, get, they would be betrothed, they would be engaged. Then he would go back to his father's house and build the extension. We've lost sight of that in this culture. And in that process of building the extension, it was only when the extension was finished would the news get to the bride and she would have been making herself ready that whole time. It wasn't just a one-day affair. It wasn't just the morning of the wedding, I've got to get my hair done, paint my nails, you know. It was a lifelong process. And when the house was ready, he would go to meet the bride. And she'd be veiled. And of course, he'd do what Rachel um, 
check that it's Rachel and not Leah. Check that he's not been counterfeited. And Jesus has gone, and for 2,000 years, I know he's outside of time, but he's been preparing a place for you. That's how much he loves you. Time is, you know, it's, it's not part of it on the one hand, but on the other hand, it, it shows us the sheer volume of how many people are going to be welcomed into the Father's house. Which I find exciting. And secondarily, it also talks about the fact that he's, he's, he's eager to return. But this one here, a good wife is hard to find. He hasn't finished with you yet. That's why he hasn't come back yet. He's still working on you. He's still working on me. And Hebrews 11 goes through a whole long list of all of these um, patriarchs, the hall of faith it's known as. And there's one verse right at the very end that's the key. Hebrews 11 verse 39, then we'll come back to Proverbs 31. This is, this is tremendously important because it shows just how God is working in you to perform his good pleasure and to accomplish it, whether you're married, whether you're single, whether you're dating, it doesn't matter. God's at work in your life. Hebrews 11 verse 39, after listing Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, um, Samson, Jephthah, Daniel, it says this one key verse here. Verse 39, And these all, having had witness born to them through their faith, all of these patriarchs listed before, Joseph, Noah, uh, Moses, the list goes on, had witness born to them through their faith, didn't receive the promise. Why? Born to them through their faith. They didn't receive it because God has provided some better thing concerning us. That apart from us, apart from Taiwo, apart from Gozi, apart from Melissa, apart from everybody else in this room, what? They should not be made perfect. You see, Abraham is not going to be perfected until you are. Isn't that incredible? And then the chapter break is in the worst place possible in this chapter. Because this, therefore, is tied back to everything else. The amount of sermons I've heard where pastors and preachers have started from verse uh, verse 1 of chapter 12 without taking into any context chapter 11. Therefore, it joins the whole of the previous chapter to this one. Let us also, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience that race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, or the husbandman of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God, of the throne of God. You see, what we're involved in is a covenant relationship that is so precious that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob aren't yet complete because you're not. That should give you hope, brothers and sisters. It certainly gives me hope. When I look at all of the, the great works that Abraham did, the father of the faith, you know, he was accounted as righteous. And what's amazing, that Hebrews 11 passage, is not one of their sins is recorded. They were all sinners like you and I. And yet that side of the cross, the only thing that is recorded is what God did. Jacob ended up, after wrestling with God, after seeing his own wife's nature, leaning on his staff and worshipping, and that's all it says. Proverbs 31, let's just run through a few verses quickly there. So Jesus is looking for a good wife. His her worth is far above jewels. The word in Hebrew there is evan tovah. It means good stone. Did you know you're a good stone? 
Now, in order to create a good stone, a precious jewel, pressure has to be applied. If there's no pressure in your life, where's the, where's the gem coming out of it? Pressure has to be applied in order for a stone to be precious. But a, a precious stone is still covered in, in dirt until somebody gets it out of the ground. And what do they have to do? They have to clean it. Sanctification. They have to polish it. Justification. Sorry, justification, sanctification. There is the cleaning and the polishing process that goes with a precious stone. And in order for a precious stone to fit in somebody's ring, it has to be worked on meticulously. Every little detail under microscope. You, God, is working on in exactly the same way. But rest assured, there is not one sin that he doesn't know about. There's not one blemish in your stone that he's not going to get out of you before the end. But you have to be willing to allow him to work on you. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he, ha- he shall have no lack of gain. Does the Lord Jesus trust in you? Does he have no lack of gain from you? What's the, what's the relationship you have? Is it, a, is it a covenantal marriage relationship? Can he only trust you Monday to Friday? Or can he trust you seven days a week? She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works willingly with her hands that's covering. And then this, I urge you to go away and study it in typography. It's amazing because everything is talking about the bride of Christ. It's talking about the church. It applies to us men as well. This one is really struck me. There's a couple of them. She's like the merchant ships. This is verse 14. She brings her bread from afar. If you bring bread from afar, what happens? It's stale by the time it gets to you. What bread is it talking about? It's talking about the bread of life that's seated at the right hand of God. The church's responsibility is to grab hold of that bread of life, and what does she do with it? She breaks it. She gives food to her household, those who are saved, and, food, and portions to her maidens, those who don't yet know the Lord. It's an amazing picture of the reality of what we're called to do. Grab hold of Christ and break him and share him with others. Next step. Verse 18. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Merchandise. What merchandise is it talking about? The Lord Jesus. Have you ever heard him termed as merchandise before? It's not me being irreverent. It's just realizing just how much worth there is found in Christ. Do you see Jesus as profitable to others? To the extent that you want to share him in every area of your life. It goes on. Let's let's skip down. She... uh, all, verse 21, all her household are clothed with scarlet. Well, we know what that is in typography. Symbolism, it's the blood of Christ. All of the house are covered with the blood of Christ. Her clothing is fine linen. Well, in Revelation we have that fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints and purple is the, is the, the color of royalty. Her husband is known in the gates in the place of authority. It's the Lord Jesus. When he sits among the elders of the land, it talks about that in Revelation as well. She makes linen garments and sells them. And delivers girdles to the merchants. And let's go down to the last verse and then I'll, I'll bring my wife up and we'll do, uh, open it up for Q&A. Char- verse 30. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that fears the Lord, shall be, she shall be praised. You see, that's really the heart of this whole subject. Love, dating and marriage. 
is that charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman and a man who fears the Lord shall be praised. Do you really fear Christ? Do you really fear him? Not in a, in a wrong way, revere. In the Hebrew, it's to worship. It's to have a reverence and an awe for the majesty of the king. You're going to be married to a king. Act like one. Now, Melissa, come up. There's one final illustration that I want to do because there's a, a lot of people, um, certainly when I was, a, I was a teenager, I really wrestled with, okay, God, what am I supposed to do? What is my life calling? Where am I supposed to be? How am I supposed to live my life? What job am I supposed to do? I'm, I'm sure these are questions we've, we've all wrestled with at one point or other. And there was, there was a key within the whole marriage relationship that I, I, I understood from seeing what it is to be, be one with somebody else. My wife was not born a Briggs. Briggs is my surname. She was born a molar. She's got molar blood running through her veins. She will die a molar. But she's now living in the name of Briggs. She writes checks in my name, not that checks are used very often now. She drives my car. She is involved in every aspect of us bringing our children up together. Everything she does is in my name. She spends my money. <laughs> Husbands here in this room, I'm sure you're all aware of, of that reality. These ladies have a uh, like magpies, they love clothes. Here, here. And, and I, I've never understood how walking through a shop, how you have to have to touch every single item of clothing in that store. Why? Blokes, oh, I like that. I'll get it, I'll try it on, see if it works. That, that's fine. But what we have in this process is she is a molar. She's going to die a molar. Her blood is still molar blood. But she's now living in my name. She's living in my authority. Now, you've been married to Christ. Therefore, what's happening? Your checkbook is his checkbook. Be careful what you spend your money on. Your house is his house. It's a co-ownership. Your job, he's to be involved in it as well. Your life decisions, you call on him. It, 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 everything, in all our ways, acknowledge him, is what Proverbs 3 says, and he shall direct our path. Now, I've got two minutes for questions. I'm aware I've spoken quite a lot. Um, I've got five minutes for questions, I think, Tyro. Is that all right? Five questions? Yeah? Are you sure? Ten? Ten or five? Ten, five, one of them. So, um, I, seven. I don't know where the microphone is or if there are any questions. I could unpack a whole number of scriptures, but yes, go for it. Is there a question somewhere? No? no? Okay, microphone's there. So, if there are questions, if not, I could talk about the scriptures a lot more, as you probably can gather. I love the Bible, and I think it's life to us. Yes. Just, just shout, bro. Yep. 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 Yes. Rather than 
I, I, think you, I think you've got a very real point. Did everybody hear that? So in, in the process, it, it's actually first... I think the key, the key factor is, first and foremost, where are our eyes fixed? I'm going to let my wife answer this question because, actually, for, for our... We, we courted for a year, but um, well, you just tell the story about how, when I told you, I, I travel a lot and that, that aspect. You know, because I, I, worked, I worked in Israel for four years, and um, in that process, I... Melissa thought I was turning, turning her down, but I'll let her explain the, the process. I don't know how helpful this story will be for anyone else, but when Stephen and I first met um, one another, he told me one day, I just need you to know that um, the Lord's called me to this job that I'm doing in Israel right now, and it involves a lot of travel and a lot of commitment, and I just want you to know that I've committed myself to this for two years, and I'm going to be true to that commitment. And I thought that was him wanting to get out of the relationship. And um, it wasn't, but it was just making clear that he had made this commitment to the Lord of, of serving for this amount of time. And, and so mo most of our, a lot of the period that we had recognized that God was calling us to be married, we were apart. I was in the Netherlands, I was in the States, I was in uh, traveling an awful lot. And we didn't actually see that yeah. much of each other at all. Um, but that didn't, that didn't mean we didn't communicate. <laughs> you know, you can communicate daily with Christ but he, he has gone to prepare the place for you. And, and that's the, the, the wonder of the rea reality of what relationship God has brought you into. It, he's betrothed to you, therefore communication is necessary. But, but is how we live and operate and work that out in reality? I think everybody in this room is unique and, and has been made in the image of God. And actually what's so incredible about each and every one of you is you all don't look like me. That's really good. Because, because that's the nature and character of God. He is expressing himself through you in, in a different way. And the thing that I love when I come into a body of believers, particularly a body of believers that I've never been involved with before, is I'm like, yeah, Christ in you, Christ in me, let's, let's, let's see the reality of the glory of God in both of us and grow in it. I'm excited about what the Lord's doing in each of your lives. I want to hear about it. Hopefully you've had a little bit of our heart in it as well. Because actually, when you and I meet, what is it? It's that Christ may be increased. And so in that process, I think there is this, this, this period, yes, it's preparation. And we have to look at it whether we are, um, whatever stage of the journey we're on, we are being prepared for something else. You see, he's called us to rule and reign with him. And in order to reign with someone, you have to be trusted. And you have to be the one who can administer authority in the right way. And that's why spending time with him is so key. That's why intercession and prayer it's a whole other subject. It's so key. Yeah, go for it. So we could talk for um, hours, literally, about all the, the testimonies by the Lord brought us together. But I just had it on my heart to share one in particular that has to do with asking the Lord about his timing. And when Stephen and I had been, um, we had been together for about nine months, I think. And Stephen was on a ministry trip travel, traveling with his Bible teacher that he was like an assistant at the time and yes. yeah we were both based in Israel at the time we met in Jerusalem and Stephen he was actually in the States at the time I was back in Israel and he got down on his knees one morning and said Lord can you just confirm that Melissa really is the lady for me and that the timing is right for me to propose to her you know I, I have it in my heart to do this but I just really want to hear from you that this is the right person that this is the right time that you're that you want me to go ahead with this. And he didn't say this to anybody else. He had just prayed it that morning. And later that day, 
this family that he was staying with, um, the lady of the house called him upstairs and she got out a little box and she said, I'd been saving this to give to my son one day, I thought, but the Lord told me today to give you this. And she pulled out a box that had a ring in it and she said, this is from Melissa or yeah. something like that. Yeah. 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 And um, this is from Melissa. And it was just such an amazing confirmation to Stephen that the timing was right for him and the story goes on and on of how another, um, another group of believers had given him some money already towards an engagement ring, and when he went to, uh, to get the diamond put in the setting, the family that had given them, him the diamond then insisted that no, they wanted to pay for the setting and the wedding band. And so then he had this other money that um, had been given to him for the ring, and he said, Lord, what am I supposed to do with this money? It feels, it feels like it's special. I can't just spend it on anything. And so... Um, a few weeks later, then, he was, this ministry trip took them to Greece, where they were with this family who were missionaries to prostitutes and refugees in Athens, and he didn't realize that this family had sort of used their last 10 euros to put dinner on the table for them, and were you know, waiting upon the Lord to, to provide for them, and Stephen felt like the Lord was saying to give the money that was for the ring to this family. And it was just so beautiful how all these continents had been involved and how this family on a completely different continent from where I was was blessed because of our engagement. And it was just a wonderful way to start out knowing that, that God had confirmed that this was right, that the timing was right. And I think that just gave us such uh, a confidence and yeah. assurance going forward. So uh, as we just finish, uh, the, the, the key phrase that I want to say, and uh, I hope this is kind of a lasting impression for you, is that all of heaven is on the side of marriage. If you do things God's way and God's timing and trust Him, every single one of these stages, wherever you are on that journey, because it speaks of Himself, if you do it His way and trust Him that He will bring about His purpose in His time, the testimony of Jesus will be the reality of every stage of the journey. We had nothing financially when we got married and the Lord provided lavishly. I don't have time to go into the whole story. We had just one final testimony and I hand over to Taiwo. We had Melissa's father, he's been out of a job for a while, said, look, you've been given a cake, a wedding cake, and um, we can get coffee and water for your guests. And um, I was like, that's fine. You know, we just want to be with people when... Um, Melissa's youngest sister's friend's parents, who we'd never met, called up and said, just so you know, we're paying for all of the food for your wedding guests. Here's $2,000. And uh, totally out of the room. Never met them. You know, didn't know anything about them. They just knew, you know, and that was... You see, because God loves marriage, he's going to be married for eternity to you. And so the process of that marriage on earth being a reflection of his character is what he wants to do in each and every one of our lives. But it doesn't end there. Because marriage is only one day, or in Israeli terms it's seven days, but that's you know, the, the whole process. But marriage is just the doorway into the reality of life. And the marriage supper of the Lamb that we're going to is just the final cup of drinking, and then we're walking out together, one with him as Mr and Mrs. Jesus, to rule and reign. And who knows 
what exciting things he has in store. For no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor mind ever comprehended what glorious things he has prepared for those who love him. May God bless you and keep you. Thank you.